And I was thinking about that because I did a few hours on another show today talking about the things that we do know about this given publicly to the public to talk about. Because most press releases are just that, they're press releases. And journalists very seldom even bother changing the press release to make it look more as though it belongs to this paper or that paper. They just print it right from the sources, generally government handouts and so on. And we chat about it at the bottom. And here we are talking about all the things that are happening and what's coming in as we go through the fascist stage of this great new world order. And meanwhile, we're getting bombed from the air with spraying, daily spraying. And they won't talk about that either. We're at war. War has been declared on us from a hundred different levels. Back with more after this break.
where the natural order would take in or kick in, where the natural aristocracy, the, you know, the experts and scientists, will run the world according to logic, their logic and their sciences, as opposed to having us with our emotions uh, and our needs and our families uh, haphazardly running it down below, as we've supposedly done all along. That's to be eradicated, and they've done an awfully good job at eradicating that. That was a prime target for a long, long time, eradication of the family unit. I've gone over talks by Julian Huxley and others where they said that they could probably sterilize the population and yet promote promiscuity. So they'd be happy, happy neutered beings as they all go down the tubes. That's happening too. As I say, war has been declared on the public from a whole bunch of different levels they're completely unaware of. When you have something happening in society like sudden uh, problems with sterility that literally knocks out 80-odd percent of the male population over a 50-year time span. Even if you believe in evolution, and you need a lot of faith to believe in that, even if you believe in that, it doesn't happen suddenly. And they've known all along what they've been feeding the public to make it happen. I've done talks on this. I've talked about documentaries. I have links the disappearing mail on my website where you can look at the data yourself done by, again, the professional people and the authorized information arena. It's unfortunate they have to go to those ones to believe them, but that's the way they're trained. If it's on mainstream television, it must be true, no matter what it is. In the U.S., we've watched the standard, the standard operating technique of bringing in national service, a world of service, a nation of service, from the very young to, to the elderly people as well. Compulsory. That's standard in fascist uh, takeover. It's probably the first time they've used the guise of protecting the people. To protect the people, you must become totalitarian. That's maybe the only, the only bit that's different about this, this era. But the technique is the same. And a good part of it, a good chunk of the money in the U.S. for, for this uh, volunteerism, as I like to call it. Again, so much doublespeak. We are in 1984. We're in the Orwellian society with doublespeak. A good part of the money is going to go to education of the children. Now, that means they're going to be taught ideology, the reigning ideology, and they will be, grow up to be little fanatics and then older fanatics and then brutal fanatics on behalf of the state. That's standard as well. I can remember reading about the first Russians who went into Germany at the end of World War II. And the Russians who had been indoctrinated with their ideology thought they were freeing the people from fascist overlords and it, it, it really confounded them to realize that people did not want to be saved from their overlords their ideology had taught them that everyone was a prisoner under the fascist regime and wanted to be free and you'll see the same thing happening again with the Greenies sustainable development completely believe that the older generations and they are being taught this in school now 
across the Western Hemisphere by mandate that the older generations destroyed their future for them by their incredible spending and borrowing and uh, living the high life, the good life. That's what they'll think. And remember what Bertrand Russell said, scientific indoctrination. Scientific indoctrination had been perfected before the 1950s by himself and other experts in the field. So you can imagine the hell we're coming into where you're going to be afraid of children. And these children will report everything that happens at home, in their street, on the street, in the shopping malls, wherever. And there's going to be witch hunts. Because children like to please their masters. They found this out before when they pushed for a long time about oh, massive sacrifices going on and so on. And children got a hold of this stuff and they were asked by psychologists and hypnotherapists if they could remember anything. And they came up with great, fantastic, bizarre stories. And they had witch hunts. And lots of people were locked up who were innocent. Because children like to please the adults in authority. So you can imagine what's going to come down the pike. And people should not stand for this at all. Ideology, when it's taught in school, is the end. It's the end of everything. Hell is coming. I said in 2001 that the hardest thing you'll find as this agenda unfolds, because I knew it would become surrealistic, the hardest thing would be to hold on to your sanity as you go through it. And what's happening in one country is happening in other countries at the same time. Everything is simultaneous now. In Britain, Britain's always ahead of other countries with these techniques. In Britain, the BBC, they admitted and gave out a handout again to the press. Now remember, the BBC is a branch of the government in Britain. And this is from 22nd of March 2009. Thousands getting terror training. As, even the wording, getting terror training. Think about it. Home Secretary Jackie Smith explains the new strategy. The new strategy. Thousands of UK workers are being trained to help respond to a future terror attack. As part of an updated counter-terror strategy, ministers say. Home Secretary Jackie Smith said shop and hotel workers would be among 60,000 people able to deal with an incident. So this is just the start of it. They admit they've already trained thousands in other areas as well. You don't know who they are. You'll be working next door to them. The updated approach aimed at tackling immediate terrorist threats and the causes of extremism. So we're going to tackle the causes of extremism. It's what the government is doing extreme. That's the first thing I would say to these people. And ask them that question. Isn't this extreme? It says it would be the most comprehensive in the world, she had added. So that sounds awfully good. It's comprehensive, isn't it? But the Tories, as against Conservatives, said not enough action was being taken against extremists. Really? Of course they will, because they're all... There's no left wing and right wing. It's all a show for the public. The Home Office's new counter-terrorism document to be published on Tuesday will go into more detail than ever before in the interests of public accountability. So they've done it in secret. 
They announce this to get us ready for it. And then they're going to tell us some of it. I'll not go into all the details. I'll say I'll go into more details than ever before in the interest of public accountability. It will reflect intelligent opinion. Oh, I guess the general population isn't involved there. But the biggest threat to the UK comes from Al-Qaeda-linked groups. Right? Al-Qaeda-linked groups. And will also take into account recent attacks on hotels in the Indian city of Mumbai. It's amazing how they can, they can tie it all together, isn't it? Ms. Ms. Smith told BBC One's politics show, what we're completely clear about is that if we're going to address the threat from terrorism, we need to do that alongside the 60,000 people that we're now training up to respond to terrorist threat. And I'll continue with this after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, reading this report from Britain, from the Home Office, as they call it. That's the big high hootspurs that deal with all the laws of the country, to do with training a civilian army, basically, and at the start of it. Now, on the one hand, they say that they're now training 60,000 people within the civilian population, but in other articles on the same topic, it's admitted They've already trained thousands. They're all amongst you. They live amongst you. And it goes on to say here, we need to do that alongside the 60,000 people we're now training up to respond to a terrorist threat in everywhere from our shopping centers to our hotels. So now you, you can't go into a hotel now without some little chambermaid snooping through all your stuff because she thinks you look suspicious. Or she maybe just doesn't fancy you, you're the wrong type, so therefore you're a bad guy. And they're going to get thousands of calls like this of folk getting reported because someone doesn't like the looks of somebody else. That will happen. Plus, the population have had now a few years of these dramas. Every country's got dramas on anti-terrorism. The guys in black blast through houses and streets and everything to get the bad guys. They save us all. They knock everything down that's in their way. And everyone else is in their way too. They have us beating their dinner. So... Everyone wants to be in on this, you see. The population they're trained is going to be exciting. So the little security guard at the shopping mall that was round punching in his little clock to say that he's actually done his rounds, etc., has now got a greater purpose. Suddenly he's a somebody, and people will listen to him with his reports. And the little people who work in the little boring jobs in hotels and in society and in stores as well will feel suddenly very special. They're, they're, they're a kind of a new spook, you know, spook is a spy, you see. And they, they, can, they might even get a little sticker for their car or, or some little pin they can wear when they meet themselves in their clubs and so on so they can recognize each other as a new, a new breed of snitchers because that's all it is. And it will create more and more hype and more people will get accused of things which make, will make the headlines and will make it appear as though it's working, but then they'll have a little one-liner somewhere in the back of a page of the paper in a month's, month's time after that saying that there were acquitted, no evidence, and so on. You're going to find lots and lots of this because it's great when they hand this kind of power to ordinary people in boring jobs at the bottom who will then see nefarious goings on in everything around them. And they didn't before. 
That will happen. It's guaranteed. And they know this at the top, too. We've watched the militarization of the police. We've watched the blurring of police and the military. And now they're all through society as well. This is a Sovietization of the Western Hemisphere. They used the Soviet techniques. They brought the experts over and from the Soviet Union, the ex-Soviet Union, to show us how to implement it. And they're doing it. It says we need to do it alongside the 3,000 police officers now working on counter-terror, and we need to do it with international partners. There's no now listen to this. This is, uh, it makes you wonder how this kind of makes it into the, the press. There's no longer something you can do behind closed doors and in secret. Sounds kind of like, well, that covers an awful lot, doesn't it? It's almost sexual the way they say this. The paper called Contest 2. I guess they're used to all these different uh, uh, survival shows. Contest 2 will update the contest strategy developed by the Home Office in 2003, which was later detailed in the Countering International Terrorism document released in 2006. You can't keep up with them. They're documents. Can't keep up with them. So that's one of the things that are happening as they, as they militarize society. And you won't, you'll be scared eventually to talk to anyone except about sports or television and your favorite shows. That's what they had in the Soviet Union. You, you never knew when you were getting set up by someone testing you. And that's why everyone in the Soviet Union walked around with their, their eyes on the sidewalk, on the pavement, at their feet. You didn't want to look anyone in the eye. You ignored anyone who tried to talk to you in order to survive and stay alive. That's what it's about. And here's another article here. I've mentioned before about the eugenics program. Everything is combined in this big farce called terrorism, you see. Everything. Uh, here we are going through an economic planned depression to bring it on because you must do this to give them a new system of world government with a world bank. That was what it was designed to do. And you must have terrorism, you see, to get society to give up all their rights and go along with it too. And from the Sunday Times, March 22nd, 2009, another release to the press, obviously. It says, the UK population must fall to 30 million, says Porritt. Porritt, P-O-R-R-I-T-T, Porritt. By Jonathan Leake and Brendan Montague, or Montague. Jonathan Porritt, one of the Gordon Brown's leading green advisors, is a green advisor. So he probably wasn't elected to anything. He's appointed. This democracy is wonderful, isn't it? John Jonathan Porritt is to warn that Britain must drastically reduce its population if it is to build a sustainable society. In the past, I've talked about this. I've talked about the fact that ultimately the UN is to be responsible to dish out the food to every block or region of countries. And they'll start off with enough food, probably, for, for people. And then the next year or two, they'll say, it's not enough. But to cut back. How you cut back your population is your problem. That's coming. Guarantee it, folks. Because they're on a roll right now for everything. The goal is the world. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and reading an article from the BBC to show you that I'm not loony after all because I've been talking about this coming for years. And they're in a role now, and they, they know the population will stay in denial. They can, they can put the stuff right in your face now, but you'll stay in denial. And it's about the population must fall to 30 million, says Porritt, this advisor to the Prime Minister of Britain. And it says here, it says Porritt's call will come. So once again, they announce everything in advance and then give us an official version once it's It's getting us all trained for what's to come. The call will come at this week's annual conference of the Optimum Population Trust, of which he is patron. Now, the Optimum Population Trust literally is the big boys, a private organization, a big foundation with lots of NGOs. They have groups in every country, well-funded by the real government. You see, there's a real government above the ones you think you elect, run by very rich people, and they know where they're going. So here's the head the patron of this particular group, private group, telling the Prime Minister what to do. You see? Well, that's how it really works. The Prime Ministers do what they're told by the guys that they know are really working for the guys above the Prime Ministers. That's understood for them, by them at the top. So the Trust will release research suggesting, suggesting UK population must be cut, must be cut, to 30 million if the country wants to feed itself sustainably. Now, the governments have been in the business of putting farmers under for about 40 or 50 years to bring in the big agri-food businesses. And the agri-food businesses, as far as I'm concerned, are part of the military-industrial complex because food is used as a weapon. When it goes into five corporations' hands worldwide, They've got you at their mercy. And believe you me, they're not all in it just for profit. The big boys who own all this at the top don't need money. They don't need money. Porritt said population growth plus economic growth is putting the world under terrible pressure, he says. Meanwhile, as we well know by the United Nations, the population in the countries of the West has been dwindling for ages. The only reason they can keep it up is by increasing immigration. They make it appear overcrowded in the major cities. He says here, each person in Britain has far more impact on the environment than those in developing countries, so cutting our population is one way to reduce that impact. Now, how do you suggest we cut the population? Population growth, in other words, passing your genes on to children. Population growth is one of the most politically sensitive environmental problems. No kidding. It's an environmental problem. The issue it raises, including religion, culture, and immigration policy, have proved too toxic for most green groups. However, Port is winning scientific backing, no kidding, because they're all on the payroll. Professor Chris Rapley, director of the Science Museum, will use the Optimum Population Trust Conference to be held at the Royal Statistical Society. This is really Orwellian, because they do have a royal statistical society that rattles off statistics all the time for the population. We have one in Canada by the CBC to warn that population growth could help derail attempts to cut greenhouse gas emissions. That big Wizard of Oz. Giant in the sky. Incredible. But this is right in your face now. And after this article, 
comes out, you'll find more and more of them will come out rapidly. And it'll be, it'll be written into scripts and fictional drama series until we start getting the point and think, well, I guess they're right. There's too many of us. There's too many of us. Well, why don't these guys at the top commit suicide? And there's less people that can give us an example to follow these guys that come up with these ideas of culling off the populations. Why don't they lead by example? That's what I say. Now, we'll go to the phones. We've got Jeremy from New York on the phone. Are you there, Jeremy? Hello, Alan? Yes. Hey, um, uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, uh, continue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was uh, recently at the DMV, and I picked up a pamphlet uh, on enhanced driver licenses. Yes. Have you seen these? I have heard about them, yeah. Heard about them. Yeah, it says uh, New York State's enhanced driver license a smart way to travel. Uh, could I read a little bit of it? Yes. Yeah? Okay. It says, uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles Enhanced Driver License non-driver ID uh, can be used for land and sea border crossings to and from the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Bermuda, and the Caribbean. It can be used inside uh, instead of a passport mm -hmm. as an identity and citizenship document at these crossings as well as for air travel within the U.S. The new license is an option for, uh, for New York State residents who are U.S. citizens. Yeah. Uh, it goes on to say uh, the EL, uh, EDL contains a radio frequency identification tag with a unique number that can be read by uh, specialized equipment at select border, uh, border, uh, say border crossing yeah. locations. The RFID tag does not contain any personal information. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Well, technically, to them, you see, no information is personal anymore. <laughs> because that's right. It's an alternative now. And I read an article recently about that. In fact, it was it said it is an alternative to... Uh, in fact, it is the same. It's all the same data as your passport, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it says in this pamphlet, too, basically. It mm -hmm. can be used as a, as a passport, too. That's right. So one way or another, they get you. Yeah. One way or another, I get you. This is the, be the beauty of their system. They have you protesting one thing while they're bringing it in from another direction that you don't see coming. Yeah. <laughs> they're masters. They don't play by what we think is fair rules. They have no need of that, in fact. They're at war with the public, and they're going to get their way one way or another. This has been planned for such a long, long time. They're not going to back off for anything. The, the it's just not, it's not just uh, New York State, though, right? It's going to be another... I think it's in other states, too. It's coming in, yeah. Yeah. I read an article recently where there was another state, it wasn't New York, with the same, with the same uh, driving license, in fact. So I guess I'll go across the board eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It says, as a result of the Intelligence Reform and Prevention Act of 2004, significant changes to our nation's border security were recommended. One of these changes, known as the Western Hemisphere Travel Initiative, mm -hmm. requires a passport or other federal, uh, federally approved identification document for all travel from the United States uh, by June 1st, 2009. And again, it says an EDL cannot be, uh, was, wait, one second. It says, it continues, it says again, it does not store any personal information. It just keeps repeating it yes. uh, on this document. It's interesting. Yeah. As I, say, as I say, there's nothing personal anymore. They have all the data. In fact, that previous article I read, uh, the head of uh, the British Home Office said, that nothing can be kept secret anymore, so nothing is personal anymore. 
That's what, they, what they mean by that. So we have no personal information left. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, bring some attention to that. Thank you a lot. And thanks for calling. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, Leo from Massachusetts on the line there, Leo. Hi. Yeah, I, I called earlier when you were on AJ. And he ended up cutting me off because my main idea never came to fruition. I was quite upset because he went into a tirade of talking, and he cut my mic off completely so I couldn't break in. But um, I was the one who had uh, suggested the parodying of the system uh, one one way by having people from the Washington, D.C. area uh, dress up as uh, gay, as homosexual people, and then... And support the bill and ask to ban the Bible because the Bible is hate speech, you see. <laughs> and, well, and that way we could really drive the wedge home. I mean, that's the thing they don't want people doing. And he said, well, they'll, they'll find out that we're doing it. And But that's not the main issue. The main issue, I think, is I, ha- I think I've figured out the way, similar to what I was talking about, in regards to the Stasi uh, Corps that is planned by Obama, and what I think basically we should do is draw up a uh, certificate of agreement and where these people pledge to give all their rights away and to denounce the Constitution and all, you know, as a pretend and say that they don't mind that because they, 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 love, they love the New World Order and the new Fuhrer. And then when people come to the door trying to convince you that you should support Obama, you show him the certificate and say, oh, I'm, I'm part of the New World Order. I, I'm, I've already uh, renounced my rights as a citizen of the Constitution. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, no, I know, but uh, to be honest with you, uh, we can't even play games anymore with them because these guys, uh, they have no sense of humor, number one. And uh, they'll lock you up for anything today. I mean anything at all. See, the, the, in the old days, they, they humored us and, and gave us a pretense that we had rights. And cops, too, had to go by certain laws and, and regulations. That's all out the door now. And we're dealing now with the, with the, the iron fist. The, the velvet glove is off the iron fist. And to be honest with you, they're coming down. They're, they're, they're going to start killing people pretty shortly. I, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. They know it's coming, and they're going to start doing it. They've been training the public, uh, I mean, their their forces to get ready for this for years, years. And you have an internal military force. I don't care if they call them police anymore. You don't have police uh, going off to work in the Middle East under multi-jurisdictional task forces and knocking, bashing down doors and throwing hand grenades and and then coming back and pounding the streets in Canada, for instance. That's happening. We don't have police anymore. We have young guys who've been trained on video games since they were born to just kill what's in front of them, and unfortunately they're desensitized. We are in for a hell of a time, a hell of a time, and we can't even have games with them or even play with them because these guys have no sense of humor. Now let's go on to Mike from New York. Hey there, Mike. Hi. Yes. Hello? Hello. Hi, Alan. Yes. Uh, this, guy, uh, this guy you talk about, Porritt, who, who was advocating the reduction, the reduction of the population by half. Yeah. He is one weird-looking dude. And this is a thing that is, uh, that's sort of quite amazing about these people. They are physically ugly. Yes. Yeah. It's like Bertrand Russell as well. Bertrand you know, Russell had uh, they call it micrognesia. 
Yeah. It's, it's an inbred uh, uh, reduction of the chin. It's of yeah, the seat, I mean, the ears. these people are physically ugly. I mean, you know. Yeah, but you know uh, why? You do know why, though, because yeah. uh, long before the days of Charles Darwin into the age of Darwin and beyond, they only interbreed generally with one other family, per oh, family. Yeah. Just like Charles Darwin did. And Ian Taylor, in, in his mm-hmm. book, uh, did a fantastic job on the genealogy of the Darwin yeah. family. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's sort of quite amazing how, how these people who are physically ugly yeah. can presume to uh, dictate to the rest of us whether we should reproduce or not. I mean, I, I know. if yeah. they were dogs, you wouldn't, I mean, you'd put them down for being uh, repulsive. They'd be the runts of the litter. Exactly. So yeah. it's... It's, you know, like the reverse of what it should be, basically. Well, you, you understand, we have a deviant uh, elite yeah. at the top uh, that have been inbred so much for so yeah. long uh, that they, they actually call themselves a separate species amongst themselves. They believe they're the most evolved, believe it Well, they are a separate species because they are physically ugly. More than physically, and, that's what you see now. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think literally... Uh, the psychopathic element in their yeah. brain is, is, is uh, predominant in all of them. Yeah. Well, well, I think that that sort of manifests itself in, you know, how they look physically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I have no doubt on that. I have yeah. no doubt at all. In fact, uh, it was all over Britain, remember, when Prince Charles was looking for the wife or they were looking for a wife for him. Uh, and he said in all the papers, part of it was because Charles, when he looked at Charles, had all of these bad physical qualities Absolutely. because it, of inbreeding. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if Charles was a regular guy, there's no way any woman in the world would look at the guy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, just to move on briefly, Alan, regarding the, um, this business about the spies that they're recruiting in the UK to sort of, you know, yeah. tattletale, mm-hmm. this is going on about 10 years ago. Yeah. I happened to be back in the UK, and I had been away a few years, and... I met my former friends in a pub and I'm telling a joke. Mm-hmm. A joke which a few years earlier they would have all laughed at and they looked at me very seriously and said, you can't tell that sort of joke anymore. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that they were joking saying that. Yes. And That's this, right. yeah, you know, this was like a harmless, you know. Yeah. Political correctness, you see, is a form of, it's like being a computer and they keep upgrading your program. And if you allow yourself to be upgraded the first time, it's easier to be upgraded the next time with the next item and the next item and the next item. And you're quite right. Now, you have to be very guarded. You can't let a joke slip out in case you're, 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 you're jumped on. Yeah. I yeah. thought, you know, even 10 years ago, that I had gone back to a different country. Yes. Know? Yeah, and, and that's a massive indoctrination that we, of political correctness that was put across all, all of Europe, in fact, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's, um, you must sort of find this, you know, the same yourself if you ever go back, Alan. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah and, and it's the same everywhere. Uh, yeah. and, uh, Toronto is just as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Alan, thanks a lot. And thanks for calling. Yeah, I mean, we are being upgraded at political correctness. Political correctness was the term translated from the Soviet term for the same thing. That's how we are now using it, because they tried all of this in the Soviet system. They started in the Soviet system denying there was any difference between a man and a woman.
It was all to do with the way that you were trained from birth, they claimed. And the next thing you knew, there's going to be a, a workers' paradise where the women shared the glory. And you go across the Soviet Union, who's digging up the roads? These little heavy women with the big picks and the, the headscarves on, that was their great utopia. That, that was their freedom. So, uh, and yet they still called it a utopia, a workers' paradise. So you, you can't joke about anything anymore because these guys are using psycho, psychological warfare techniques on the general population. Most of it goes into the general population's minds through fictional dramas and so on. And the public are unaware that you can't lose yourself, even in a comedy. I don't think people realize that um, the major comedies in the U.S., like uh, Archie Bunker, was started off in Britain with a British character. And the whole idea was to ridicule him as such a, a racist and a bigot in every possible way. It didn't flow well in Britain because nothing was happening there at that time. People were not bigots like that. And therefore, they scrapped it. But the same script was used in the U.S. They Americanized it. Then Three's Company was another one. They started off in Britain under Robin's Nest. And the whole idea was to get the whole uh, male and female things working together, more than one woman, more than one, one guy in the same little place, etc., etc. It was all a mind job on the general public, and they use it in different countries at the same time under different names. Same scripts written by psychologists and psychiatrists. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix and we've got Eric from Philadelphia there. You're there, Eric? Hey, Alan, it's actually Derek. Derek, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was just listening before and uh, giggling a bit as the other caller talked about how ugly the elite are. Mm-hmm. It's true, but it's more of a... It's, I, I'm not really a superficial person. I know everyone, there's good people born into ugly bodies too, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, the main reason, I think, is as you said, they're all inbred, but they don't actually believe in sex as a love, as a loving form of expression. Because mm-hmm. they, in reality, they have all these uh, concubines, as they used to call them. That's where they get their pleasure from. They don't actually mm-hmm. partake in their wives. And their problems that's right. Them. Their marriages are arranged. Uh, they're even sent off from their parents from an early age, or they're brought with a nanny, and then they go to boarding school. And so they don't have any uh, allegiance to anything but the system, the system in which they're born into. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I just wanted to say that. And uh, anyway, so take care, Alan, and everyone else. Is and you too. And, and that's, that's the truth of it. I mean, if you want a, a bitter, angry, um, sadomasochistic type, uh, you simply make sure there's no bonding between the parents and the, ch- the child. That's very common with the upper elite. Uh, they have nannies and, and all the rest, and wet nurses even, uh, to bring up the baby, and then once it's old enough to speak, it's, it's whisked off to a boarding school, it's private. They might see the parents once every uh, year, the summer, for a week or so. And, uh, and the, the mother and father, often, whose um, marriage was arranged, there's no love there either. He can do what he wants after the child's born, and she can do what she wants as long as they're discreet. That's the standard way that they've always really been. But they, they don't have that natural affection. What they do, though, 
is they, they close ranks and protect each other as a class, and that's well understood stood amongst them all. But uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, as I say, the, the British papers went into overdrive when Charles was looking for a wife, because and they had no problem saying at that time that uh, they were trying to get new blood into the royal family because of the way that Charles looked and so on. That was in the newspapers, the national papers of the time. But you have to look in, as I say, look at uh, Charles Galton Darwin, uh, his grandfather, his father and himself, and his descendants. I mean, they were, all, they were marrying into the Wedgwood family. So every wife was a Wedgwood. And when Charles's mother, his, his wife died, he married his mother's sister, who was a Wedgwood. Intergenerational Darwin Wedgwoods. Then they interbred with the Galtons, because they were also eugenicists. So you had Charles Galton Darwin. And, uh, and they also interbred with the Huxleys. It's astonishing. It's always the same people at the top. You'll find they're all interrelated with each other very closely inbred. And uh, the, the features come out that way. As I say, micrognathia is, is where the chin recedes, for instance, in Bertrand Russell's case. And that's, that tends to be a hereditary factor once it's, uh, it's emerged that way. So we live in a world of a super elite who do think of themselves as, a, as the most advanced society at the top. They're the most evolved of people. They believe they have the intellect and the rights to rule over the rest with no prohibitions whatsoever to anything they want to do. They believe they should go ahead unhindered. And the scientific elite also are on board with this. They think they will be the managers of the planet, just like Plato said in the Guardian class in his book, The Republic. And we're seeing it happening all now. And let's say the glove is off, the iron fist, the velvet glove is off. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, I give you the music so it's good nights. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.